church is an organism rather than an organization. Church, us, we, are a living, breathing, reproducing life form. The church is the body of Christ. Have you got that in our 40 days of prayer and fasting? The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is an outpost of God's kingdom. By us following the example of the church in Acts, studying and applying their principles, we, we can learn how to be a church in the first century. Learn how to be this organism, living, breathing, reproducing life form in the 21st century. We're spending five weeks together in the month of July in the same place of worship, worshiping the Lord, and we're going to be looking at ten principles that will move us forward. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts is a collection of stories describing the incredible deeds and the accomplishments of the Holy Spirit in partnership with the apostles and the early church. Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel. The gospel according to Luke is an accurate picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then Luke writes Acts. It acts. It's an, an accurate picture of the beginnings of the church. Luke wrote both these, both of these, Luke and Acts. Luke is a medical doctor. You probably knew that. Luke is a close companion of Paul. A careful historian where accuracy was his goal. He writes about Jesus. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. That Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood and he preached a simple message. It was the message of the gospel. That since the days of the prophets, God has promised that he would send a Savior, a Messiah. And that whoever calls on this Savior, whoever calls on this Messiah would be saved. And on that day in Jerusalem, 3,000 responded and the church was born. A healthy church has only one message, and that message is Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 36. Peter's sermon from the day of Pentecost. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're witnesses, all witnesses of this. How he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. 
And on that day, how many responded? 3,000 responded and the church was born. A healthy church has only one message and that message is Jesus Christ. The church in Acts was in action. Preaching, witnessing, sharing Jesus. Their target audience was whoever would listen. And their entire message was about Jesus. The church exists to proclaim the message of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Everything we do must point to Jesus. Our central message must be Jesus. When we collect boxes of cereal, our message is Jesus. When we feed at people's table, our message is is Jesus. Our message is Jesus. Jesus. Life, death, resurrection, exaltation, exclusivity, and return. Can you say that with me? Life, death, resurrection, exaltation, exclusivity, and return. Did you know Jesus really lived? Jesus really lived. Jesus is a, is a real historical person. He breathed just like you breathed. He, he bathed just like hopefully you breathed last night because it was Saturday night. He, he walked. He talked. He had bumps and bruises. He, he ate and he slept. Jesus really lived. Jesus really died. He really died an atoning death on the cross for our sins for sin must be punished while at the same time the cross demonstrates God's mercy and God's love and his grace toward us Jesus really rose from the dead he arose he arose hallelujah Christ arose that reminds me of a song he arose, He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Not a coma, not a resuscitation. Literally died, literally buried, literally rose again. And without the resurrection, there is no gospel message. And there is no hope. Exaltation. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We proclaim that in the Apostles' Creed. And He sits at the right hand of God where He has a ministry of intercession on our behalf. Jesus' exclusivity, salvation is, is found in Jesus alone. Only Jesus can forgive sins. There, there are no other paths to God the Father except through faith in Jesus the Son. All religions are not the same. Jesus is not better than other religions, nor is he an alternative to other religions. Jesus is superior to all other religions. We Methodists, we are not a pluralistic denomination. From the beginning, we said this, all need to be saved. All can be saved. All can know they are saved. And all can be saved to the uttermost. Return. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus will come again, and we wait for his ultimate return. That time, as Judy said, we won't be fasting. We're going to be feasting. And in that time, he will come in power, and he will come in might. Acts, 
church faithfully proclaimed Jesus. In Acts, the people are con- convicted and they want to receive Jesus. People repent and believe. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. The church experiences growth. The church receives criticism and, and experiences persecution, life, death, resurrection, exaltation, exclusivity, and return. This is the gospel. And it is a pure gift. For it is nothing. The gospel requires simple faith. For nothing. We, we check our birthright at the door. We, we check our church attendance at the door. We check our good behavior at the door. We check our accomplishments and our accolades and our credentials and our qualifications at the door. All of that might matter and have some value in some places. But it has less than no value at the only door that ultimately matters. Yes, check your anything and your everything else, but... Jesus Christ is Lord and raised him from the dead at the door. Scripture says, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Mumtaz Mahal, emperor of India, his wife died. And he wanted to construct a memorial to his wife. And he named it. Taj Mahal, after her, 20,000 artisans, 25 years to complete. His grief was eclipsed by passion, totally concerned, concerned by the details of the project. There's a legend that says that, that one day he was walking through the construction site hurriedly and he bumped his leg on a wooden box and he was mad. Bumped his leg on the wooden box and he said, throw it out. The box contained his wife's remains. He threw out her coffin, says the legend. He forgot that she was there. But the beautiful building was there. But he forgot she was there. The one for whom the temple was built was cast out. The one for whom the whole project was for in the first place, forgotten. The one for whom the temple was intended to honor, hastily put aside. So consumed with the building that the one for whom it was built was forgotten. Have we become so consumed with other things that we've forgotten? The one for whom the church was built. Have we become so wrapped up in the madness of religion and formality the way we prefer, the way we've always done it, that we've forgotten the meaning of a personal relationship with Jesus? Have we put budgets and buildings and programs and activism and disaffiliation ahead of preaching and proclaiming and witnessing? Have we become so busy, occupied, That we've forgotten the singular message of the church. A healthy church has only one message. And that message is Jesus Christ. A healthy church also focuses on worshiping God. One sermon, two preachers. I don't want you to go out and say you heard two sermons today. One sermon, two preachers. 
A healthy church has one message. That message is Jesus Christ. And then we respond to the gospel with worship. I want you to hear from uh, Acts chapter 2 as we continue. After there was repentance and baptism and 3,000 people came into the church, we had this beautiful little glimpse of what was the church devoted to. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Awe came on every soul, and signs and wonders were done through the apostles. All who believed had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing to all who had need, and day by day they would attend the temple. They would break bread in homes. They would receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. A healthy, biblically faithful church has one focus. We focus on worshiping Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we've heard the good news of Jesus, our heart is filled with joy and gratitude. I once was lost and now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I'm not going to break out into song rush. Give me a couple Sundays. I might do it. But when we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we have gratitude and we have joy. A vital, growing, vibrant, biblically faithful church has one focus, Jesus Christ. We worship God. That's the focus of the church. We gather to worship. So what is worship? Here's a beautiful quote from A.W. Tozer. Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on a cross, and rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. We are transformed People redeemed by Jesus, people who had had a death sentence over them for sin, gather together to say, thank you, Lord, you've forgiven me, you've redeemed me, you bought me back from sin, and you gave me new life. I am born again. Your spirit is in me, and so we worship God. We're the only organization that carries God's name. We are marked by God. We're owned by God. We are sealed by God. We belong to Him. We're the only organization that gathers to proclaim God's truth, shouting to the world that God is good, Jesus is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is here. Amen. I do so much better when y'all amen. Before we dig into what worship is, let's rule out a few things that worship is not. Worship is not entertainment nor a program. Thank you for that, amen. I heard that. Worship is not entertainment nor a program. Entertainment is passive. I don't know if you know that because sometimes we can get really revved up and we can get moving when we're being entertained, but actually entertainment is passive and worship is not passive. Entertainment, all you have to do is show up, watch, and listen, and something is being presented for you. That's not worship. We live in an entertainment-driven culture, don't we? We make celebrities out of people who can entertain us. We follow people who can tell a good story or, or have expertise in music or athletic accomplishments. We crave entertainment. Because the worst thing of all is to be bored. 
Anyone have bored kids in the summer? Does anyone just not know what to do with yourself when you're bored? We don't want to be bored. We do anything and everything to avoid being bored. We even make stars out of people who shock us because being shocked is better than being bored. And sometimes we can carry that attitude into our worship. We can come to worship and expect to be entertained by the music or the preacher or the sermon or the kids. We may even be touched or challenged and never actually worship. Worship isn't passive and it's not about pleasing ourselves. Worship is this simple. It is about pleasing God. Pleasing God. Worship is to please God. It's to adore Jesus Christ. It's to follow the Holy Spirit and surrender ourselves, all we are and all we have, to surrender and take the hyper focus off of self. Hello, selfies, right? Did I do it if I didn't post it? Take the hyper focus off of self and put it on God Almighty. Worship is not entertainment, and it's not a program. Worship leaders and pastors and and those who work so hard from the audio-visual to the sound to the music to, to all the messages to every component of worship can create an environment, and it should create an environment where you can actively worship God. But we're not here to provide you with a checklist where you can go, did it, did it, did it, done, worship is over, because it's not a program. There's no checklist. So we know what worship is not. So what is it? The English term for worship is made up of two words, worth and ship. Worship is to consider someone or something worthy. The Hebrew term for worship is shaka, which means to bow down. If you're bowing down, you're showing humility and reverence. It's an attitude of the heart and an action of the body. It signifies that the one you're bowing to has all worth, and you are surrendering and showing that honor and reverence, respect and allegiance to the one you bow to. There's some New Testament words for worship. Proscunio means to kiss. Latreo, which means to minister or to serve. And sapemai, which means to have a feeling of awe and devotion. There is a status or a stance of the attitude and an action of the body that is what is being described in biblical worship. Worship is connecting our attitudes and our actions to minister to an all-worthy God. Worship's about God, not about us. When we worship, we do so because God is worthy. I had this illustration shared with me years ago, and it always stuck with me. Imagine that you are the member of an orchestra, and there is a conductor, and there's an audience. When we come to church, we tend to think that We are the audience. We here are the audience. That's not true. We have an audience of one. God is the audience. We are worshipers. It's as if we are the players 
We are the players in the orchestra. Our voice is our instrument. We are the worshipers. God is the audience, and the Holy Spirit is the conductor. That's worship. The Holy Spirit leads us into ministry, and we are ministering to God to please God with our praises, with our actions, with our attitudes, with our thoughts. All that we are surrendered to all that He is. That's what we get to do every single Sunday. And you know, one time a week is not enough for me. I want to worship every day. I wish I could worship with y'all every day. But we get one time a week to come and surrender all that we are to all that He is because He is worthy. Here are three truths about worship. We worship because God is worthy. We worship because God commands it. And we worship because we need it. Is God worthy? Is God worthy? I want you to think about this story from John chapter 12. It's also found in Mark's gospel. There was a dear friend of Jesus named Lazarus, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus died, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. And he's having dinner at Lazarus' house. And Martha is serving, and Mary goes into another room, and she gets a box of perfume called spikenard. And she brings this box out. It's an alabaster box, a marble box. Sealed inside is this very expensive spikenard perfume. It would be worth thirty to $50,000. Can you imagine? She comes out and she takes that box of expensive ointment and she breaks it open. And all of a sudden she's anointing Jesus' feet. She's bowing. She's undignified. She's abandoned. She's surrendered. She's giving all that she is to his majestic worth. She's bowing and she's anointing his feet and she is wiping his feet with her hair. She broke that box. That that perfume couldn't be saved. It had to be used. This was an all-in moment. This is a moment of complete, complete commitment. All of the expensive perfume, all that Mary is, anointing Jesus' feet. Spikenard was at his table. My spikenard sent forth its fragrance. Song of Songs is about the passionate love between a bride and a groom. You perked up, didn't you? Song of Songs is also about God's love for his people. And it's a shadow of Jesus' love for his church because Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. When we come to gather to worship, we are adorning ourselves like a bride. We are giddy like a bride. We are longing and aching for the groom to show up. That's our job as a church to come together every week and ache for Jesus. She uses spikenard because that's in the Old Testament about recognizing the king and anointing the king. Mary sees Jesus' worth. She realizes that he is the king and he's worth that $50,000 broken box of perfume. She gives all that she is to anoint the king. She pours it all out. The fragrance of love, the costly perfume of commitment, the heavenly scent of adoration. 
She adores Jesus in a scandalous way in public. She's emotional. She's demonstrative. She's bowing low. She's breaking a box. It's not a passive moment. And she's not looking to be entertained by a good story from Jesus. And she's not there just for a miracle or a multiplication of food. She's there because Jesus is worth everything and she would not be anywhere else. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when she breaks that box open, guess what? Anybody wear perfume? Smelled perfume? Gone to Bed Bath & Beyond? Anybody? I've walked into places like that and it just smells so good. You can't just have a little bit of a scent when you break a bottle of perfume. Everybody in the room is going to smell it. More than likely, everybody in the room is going to leave the dinner party and they're going to smell like perfume for days. When someone worships God, it's as if a sweet scent is released. It's contagious. When you're around worshipers, you start to feel that glory of God. It's like a sweet scent. But there was one in the room that didn't receive it that way. Turn your eyes off of Mary at the feet of Jesus and turn your eyes on Judas. Judas was there. And at this holy, remarkable, passionate moment of surrender and adoration, Judas complains. Mm. It's possible to be in the room where people are adoring God and have a heart of criticism and complaint. He sees this undignified, utterly abandoned adoration with disgust and criticism. He's been a disciple of Jesus too. He was there when Lazarus was called forth from the tomb. He was there when the 5,000 were fed. He was there when the lame leapt for joy. Judas has been with Jesus too, yet he's got a mindset that will not let him see Jesus' worth. You see, he sees the worth of the perfume. He's a numbers guy. He's counting the cost, and he has an agenda for Jesus that Jesus isn't meeting. Instead of seeing this worship take place, he just says, you know, that's a waste. Judas could have humbled himself. And he could have bowed low, but he was hard-hearted, and he refused to give his all to Jesus. Some of us come in to worship like Judas. We're either passive, looking to entertain, or we're just here to do our duty and get through a program. We only perk up when something happens that we don't like. Our energy and focus is on our predetermined objectives. Some of us ridicule and dismiss when others bow low in humility and love. But Jesus praised the actions of the woman. Don't forget that. Jesus praised the act of biblical worship. A healthy, growing church encourages heartfelt physically active, humble, passionate worship where Jesus is exalted and praised. 
There are promises in Scripture, and God is trustworthy and true, and He keeps His promises, and He says to us, when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. In our humility and surrender, God draws near to us. There's an image of worship and revelation that just takes my breath away. Revelation chapter 4, 5, and 7 describe the holy and powerful worship taking place around the throne in heaven. Sometimes I have to imagine this worship to help me surrender my heart to Jesus and utterly abandon myself. John has gone into this place of transcendence where he's heard a voice say come up here and he sees this vision of heavenly worship John says I looked around and I saw a door standing open in heaven and I heard a voice speaking to me like a trumpet come up here and I will show you what must take place at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it someone of immeasurable worth sitting on the throne. John, who was there when Mary anointed Jesus with the perfume. John, who was there when Jesus was crucified. John, who was there when Jesus ascended. John, now living in exile and persecution, is summoned, come up here. He takes his eyes off his circumstances, his burdens, his isolation, his concerns, and he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he sees a almighty God on the throne, and seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the, and the elders are throwing golden crowns. Can you imagine that worth? Golden crowns at the feet of Jesus. Do you see it? Do you see it? Just like expensive perfume thrown at the feet of Jesus, in eternity all of us will be throwing golden crowns at his feet because he is worth everything. Worship abandons dignity and stops thinking about self and focuses on God. God alone. God alone. We worship because God commands it. It's all over the Old Testament. The Lord lays out to the Israelites the festivals they're to have, the sacrificial system in the temple. And the Psalms are filled with their songs, the songs of praise, the songs of worship. They worship with their voice, with shouts, with trumpets, with tambourines, I bet. They're passionate, they're joyful, they dance. Psalm 156 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God commands us to enter his courts with thanksgiving, to enter his doors with praise. We get to worship. We get to sing and praise God. Finally, we worship because we need it. Oh, don't I need it. You see, in my humanity, I can be grumpy. I can be selfish. I can have a bad day. I remember going to church not that long ago. I was visiting a church in Nolansville where a friend of mine is the pastor. And I went because I was having a really bad day. I was heartbroken. I couldn't hardly walk into the church without being in tears. I walked into that church because I needed to worship Jesus. And I needed to be around Jesus people. 
people who wanted to be there, people who were singing their heart out to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. I needed them to carry me into a place where I could look up and hear God say to me, come up here. I walked into that space and I sat down and everyone stood and began to sing and I just sat there grumpy like this because I was having a bad day. I didn't want to stand up. I didn't want somebody to tell me what to do, Terry. And I sat there for a little while and I heard the Holy Spirit whisper, Am I worth it? Am I worth it? Come up here, Judy. Lift your eyes up. Look at me. I needed to get my eyes off myself and with tears running down my face, I stood up and I lifted my hands. Y'all going to find out I like doing that. I lifted my hands and I began to sing. And it was no longer about me and my hurt, but it was about him and his worth. And by his stripes, I am healed. And his joy is my strength. And that's what I find, that's what we find when we come to worship. We can lay down our burdens. We can come to church worn out, stressed, depressed, and worried. Life is hard. Some of us come sick. Some of us come in pain. Some of us come hurting. Some of us come trapped in sin that we can't get out of. Some of us come filled with fear and panic. Some of us come feeling haunted like we're being hunted by evil. Some of us come worn out with the bad news that saturates all of the time. Some of us come needing rescue. We need help. We need encouragement. We need a miracle. Some of us come with our peace completely destroyed. And we come to worship God restless and we find that he is tender and he is merciful and he is good and he is almighty and he is worth it. And he says to us, come up here, come up here out of the muck and the mire and the pain and the disgust. Come up here and join me and I will give you rest. These are amen moments. Come up here and you will see my holiness and let it burn off your sinfulness. I can purify you. Come up here and see my abundant provision and let it stop your worry. Oh, we're getting there. Come up here and enter my peace and I'll take away your anxiety. Come up here and see the scars on my hands and my feet and my side and let my wounds be your healing. Good job, I heard it really loud from the front. <laughs> Come up here, let my glory fill your heart. Church, that's why we come. We come to come up here so that God is made bigger and our problems and ourselves is made less. less. We come up here to lift our eyes to the Father to find love. We lift our eyes to the Son to find salvation. We lift our eyes to the Spirit to find hope. Come up here and praise the King of kings. I'm going to invite Terry to come and begin to play softly on the piano. Pastor Lee and I are going to lead us in a time of prayer. Will you please humble yourself in a posture of prayer? You may come to the altar rail if you want to. Holy Spirit, would you come now in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Oh, Lord Spirit, would you reveal to us the worth of Jesus, our Savior. 
Because if you don't give us a revelation of his worth, we won't get it. We'll overlook it. We won't know he's king. We won't know he's Lord. We won't know he gave his life for us. Holy Spirit, if you don't show us. God, we surrender to you. We break open our hearts before you now like Mary broke open a box of perfume. Our lives are yours, Jesus. Our homes are yours. I want you to imagine Jesus standing at your house right now. You're standing outside of your house with Jesus and you point at your house and you say, Jesus, this house is yours. See yourself walking Jesus into the rooms of your house. Jesus, these rooms are yours. The members of my family belong to you, Jesus. I want you to cover my home. It's yours. My family is yours. Jesus, this church is yours. Imagine Jesus with you on the sidewalk by whatever door you came in. You are with him and he is with you. See Jesus standing there with you. See Jesus knocking on the door. Jesus wants to be let in to our church. See yourself open the door and walk in with Jesus. See Jesus walk into the sanctuary with you. Walking to your very seat. And say to Jesus, Jesus, this pew is yours as I am yours. Lead Jesus to the pulpit, to this chancel area. Tell Jesus that we have one message as a church, and that message is about you, Jesus. Ask Jesus to empower a boldness in clergy and laity that the good news of your salvation will be proclaimed here and in our very lives with words and with deeds, with signs and wonders. I want you to see Jesus in your mind's eye standing by the communion table. He is our audience. We are here to please him. See him walk through the choir loft, touch the organ and the piano. Imagine that Jesus is saying to us, these instruments and your voices belong to me. And I anoint you to sing with glad hearts. And we say, yes, Lord Jesus, we want to please you. Invite Jesus into other rooms in the church, every room, every classroom, every place, the the nursery, in the offices, the hallways, where we study, where we fellowship, where we pray, where we eat. This is your place, Jesus, and we will devote ourselves to the word and to prayer and to fellowship and worship. Jesus, our hearts, our minds, our very lives are yours. 
our voice is yours. And we speak the name of Jesus over one another, over our families, over this community. We speak the name of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus to one another and to this world. God has given us a voice. And our voice is used to praise Jesus, to sing of his worth, to announce the gospel, to announce his return, to announce healing, to announce salvation, to announce justice. And so we speak the name of Jesus. 